Hello, Grace family. I sure hope your new year has started off with a bang and that you're enjoying life in this new year of 2020. I want to give you a quick update on how our 2020 vision campaign is going. As of this moment, as I speak, our giving has just exceeded 4,332,000. Please keep on going. Let's finish strong because there are less than three months remaining in the campaign as it has been scheduled. Thank you so much, especially to those of you who have gotten involved sacrificially to help us reach our goals. Now today, I want to introduce you to one of our very special Grace in Action partners. As you know, for every dollar we spend on a project, we're going to give one-tenth of that amount to humanitarian aid. For years now, we've been privileged to partner with Alpha Pregnancy Center. They're doing a tremendous job throughout the Capital Region in helping preserve life. We had a chance recently to catch up with some of their leaders, and they introduced us to some of the amazing work that God is doing at Alpha. Let's take a look at it together. This is Peggy Snyder, uh, who is the nurse manager here at Alpha Pregnancy Center in Albany. And Peggy, thanks for being with us today and sharing with us. Um, Obviously, as Christians, we believe that life is sacred from the Absolutely. moment of conception. Mm -hmm. and so we want to save as many of those lives as we can. And mm -hmm. I know that's mm -hmm. one of your main purposes yes. here. Yes. Grace was able to provide some training mm -hmm. for the usage of the ultrasound machine. Is mm -hmm. that correct? That is correct. My goal is to um, empower women to recognize that they have um, a responsibility and, and that they are carrying a baby, mm -hmm. that they're empowered to be able to meet that challenge and walk alongside them to, to um, help them through this crisis time in their life. A woman comes into the Alpha Pregnancy Center here. Perhaps you've never met her before and this is certainly a new experience for her, but she comes in asking questions. Uh, what can she expect as she comes in your doors? Everybody's mission here at Alpha is to show God's love. So we try to meet them at their level and meet them in a way that they can understand and feel that we are not judgmental here, that we're going to walk alongside them regardless of what their choice is, and that they are to know that God loves them too. So Peggy, we were able to partner with Alpha Pregnancy mm -hmm. and do some renovation here. Mm -hmm. I understand this is one of the rooms yes, that has is. been transformed. It is, but they painted it, they've put the correct electronic equipment in so that we can run the um, ultrasound safely and um, put in some new lighting and new ceiling so it's really much more comfortable. This is our counseling room and so ah. when um, anyone comes in and they have a private area in which that they can discuss their situation and they can do a pregnancy test in here um, and get some good counseling. And this used to be two offices and the only waiting space was a little hallway. So they opened up this whole area and installed this waiting room right here. I believe in this mission of pregnant women, they are loved by God and that they're 
their baby is um, a life and not just uh, uh, a hindrance. Peggy, the people of Grace Fellowship are people of prayer. I mm -hmm. know that to be true. Mm -hmm. What is one or two of the things that we could be praying for uh, as you continue to do this wonderful ministry? Well, I always feel that we need to pray for the staff here to continually um, present God's love to the people um, that we serve. Pray for the community here because that's who we serve and have them um, just know that they're welcome here. Just pray for uh, this building and that it should continue. God, thank you for allowing us to be a part of something as exciting as Alpha Pregnancy Center. The work you're doing there is changing the lives of so many people. Thank you that we can partner together in your kingdom work. We are so honored, so privileged, and may your work continue to accelerate and flourish in this year, 2020. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, yes, I agree. It is good work God is doing through Alpha and so many of our other Grace in Action partners. I want you to know, folks, please hear me today. If you want to be a part of a church that is really out in the community, Grace is that church. Praise God, there are a number of others as well that God is using all around us in this capital district. But we, by God's grace, are very, very involved. And thank all of you. Thanks to all of you for helping make that possible through your donations to the 2020 vision. Well, one of the best known and most horrendous international crises in American history started on November the 4th, 1979. A group of Iranian militants stormed the embassy, the U.S. embassy in Tehran. And initially, they captured uh, about 72 people that they held as, as hostages, actually about 70. And then 52 of those, they actually detained for a staggering 444 days. Now, those of you who were alive then and, and tuned into TV, you know all, it was on every day. There was not a day that went by that there was not reporting about the hostage crisis. Americans prayed and petitioned and waited with bated breath to see what the outcome might be. Many thought it would lead to an all-out war. Tensions were very high. But then, suddenly, the crisis ended rather abruptly on January the 20th, 19. 81. And I'll never forget the exuberant, and I mean ecstatic, looks on the faces of those former captives. It was priceless. Their faces told the powerful story of what it was like to finally be out of bondage and to be no longer a hostage and to be truly free. Yes, that crisis was awful. But it's nowhere close to the worst crisis in American history. The worst crisis is going on right now, I believe, where millions of Americans are held hostage by debilitating debt. It's a crisis of cataclysmic proportions. 
and one that continues to grow worse every day. Millions, millions are in financial captivity, not able to pay their bills, going from paycheck to paycheck, enslaved to keeping payments going to things they've already done. What about you? Are you in financial bondage? I mean, how, how would you know? How would a person even be able to tell? What would the symptoms be? I want us to look right now at some indicators that might be present when a person is in financial bondage. We're talking today about the debt trap. We're in a series called Financial Freedom. And it is my passionate desire for everyone who calls Grace Fellowship their church home to be moving toward what we could honestly call genuine financial freedom. And in this series, we're unpacking what that looks like. So how might you know if you've got a ways to go? Well, one of those indicators, and there are a ton of these, I'm just going to mention several, but even if two or three of these are true of you, it may be an indication that you're under financial duress. One would be money is always the driving factor in decision-making. you got a decision to make, and God takes a back seat to money. Your values take a back seat to money. If that's happening, you know you've got a crisis going on. Do you find yourself lying on your business reports? Do you find yourself constantly cheating on your taxes? Do you find yourself as a salesperson, maybe not really telling people about the potential downsides of this product, even though you know they're very real? Instead, you cover it over, you push the deal? If so, you have sold your integrity and you've chosen to serve money instead. Proverbs 23, 4 says, do not wear yourself out to get rich. Have the wisdom to show restraint. A second indicator you may be in bondage is your self-worth is directly tied to your net worth. Now, that's a biggie. Your self-worth is directly tied to your net worth. What I mean here is that when your self-esteem, your sense of value as a person, your identity of who you really are as an individual is directly linked to what your bank account says, what your finances are. If that's true, that's a genuine problem. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 6, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God. Listen, as followers of Jesus, our identity is not in our portfolio. It is in who God says we are. That's where our hope lies. That's where our identity lies. That's where we know who we really are. A third indication is an inability to meet the needs of the body of Christ or the needy around me. That's a definite indication of financial bondage. You know, as Christians, we're called to be the arms and the feet of Jesus Christ in this world, to literally, literally represent him. And when we are in a situation where 
there are needs in the body that we can't meet or needy people around us. We go, wow, I'd really like to help. I'd really love to help, but I, I just can't do it. That means we don't have any margin in our life. It means we're living so on the edge financially that there's probably a serious problem there. John the Apostle says, Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but in actions and in truth. In other words, don't just say what you'd like to do. Live in such a way that you'd be able to really do it. Do something about it that's, that's practical and helpful. A fourth symptom would be significant financial stress. Now, as we're walking through these, just ask yourself, how many of these are true of me? And again, I say, if even two or three may be true, then it may be an indication, hey, there's a crisis going on here. You're being held hostage by debt and financial duress. Proverbs 10.22 says, the blessing of the Lord brings wealth, and he adds no trouble to it. But a lack of financial peace causes disharmony in our homes, in our marriages, in our relationships. And if you find yourselves having arguments in your home over money or sleepless nights due to overdue bills or investments that have just gone bad, it may be a sign you need to reorient and take some serious steps, even today, even today toward financial freedom. Let's look at another one. Here's another symptom. Trusting in ridiculously risky investments or get-rich-quick schemes. Have you ever known someone who had that sort of affinity? They're always looking for some way that they can get rich overnight. Now, don't get me wrong. If you've been rich toward God, if you've been generous, if you've been a great steward of the resources God has put in your care, if you've been a faithful giver and you've stewarded that money well and you've got all your bases covered and here's a little bit extra money that you want to kind of play around with and be a little more risky, go for it, I say. God bless you. Do it. There's nothing morally wrong with that. That's not what I'm talking about. Please understand that the bottom line of just about every risky investment is greed. And greed doesn't get a very good rap in Scripture. Proverbs 15 says, A greedy man brings trouble to his family. Trust me on this. As a pastor, I've had a front row seat to witness this over and over through the years. It is astounding how much grief and heartache greed brings into this world. Again, the Apostle Paul sounds this warning. People who want to get rich, that is, they've got this insatiable drive that's just driving them and pushing them day after day. More, more, more. That's the key to a happy life. Paul says they fall into temptation and a trap. And in many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, he says, eager for money, have wandered from the faith. Imagine that. And pierced themselves with many griefs. 
again, riches are not the root of all evil. Greed is the culprit. Is that true of your life or someone you care about? Well, let's mention a couple more symptoms here that are huge. Your debt load is growing larger and larger. Now, listen closely. If you find, as you look at your finances, that your debt-to-equity ratio just continues to get larger and larger each year, you're likely on a road to financial ruin. That debt-to-equity ratio actually ought to be shrinking, not growing. Proverbs 22 says, the borrower is servant to the lender. And finally, I'll mention one more, and that is simply a lack of contentment. Everything that we're talking about this series is founded on a kind of God-given contentment. That's one of the key goals. That we would be so satisfied with our relationship with Jesus that the things of this world would be growing strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. That's a person who's truly rich. That's a person who is truly financially free. And they are released from anxiety and worry over financial matters. Paul puts it so wonderfully in 1 Timothy 6. He says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. In one of the books that we put on your bibliography, it's by a man named Barry Cameron, and the title is The ABCs of Financial Freedom. On page 19 of that book, he gives a list, and I think he gives this list just to try to have a little fun and help people dream a little bit. Look with me at this list that Barry Cameron gives, and he says, what if it were possible for you to be totally and completely debt-free? Now, some of you think that's a pipe dream. Even as I say that, some of you believe that is absolutely impossible. Really? Think about it, he says. Can you imagine what you could do? Here are just a few suggestions to help you get started with with your dreaming process. So let's look at these. For instance, you would be free to give to God and the church like you always wanted to. You could start doing whatever you wanted with Your money, he says, imagine more money than bills. Third, you would have no outstanding debts except that continuing debt to love one another that Romans 13 talks about. Four, you could put money in savings and earn lots of interest for a change instead of paying interest all the time. Five, you could help your immediate and extended family. In unprecedented ways. You could bless all of their lives, possibly, if you were debt-free and living truly financially free. You could finally have that dream vacation you've always wanted. Seven, you could fix things up around your house, even get a new one. Eight, you could get some new furniture or a new vehicle. Nine, Cameron says, you could surprise people with secret acts of kindness And generosity, that's really fun to do. Just out of the blue, unexpected stuff. Just bless people, particularly if you know they're struggling. And number 10, you could do almost anything you can imagine. Now again, I believe that Cameron includes this list because he wants people 
to be motivated. He wants them to start dreaming about what life might be like if we could be free from that debilitating debt that has a stranglehold on so many people. Folks, the truth is, most Americans are living beyond their means. All the way back in 2006, I remember reading this Newsweek magazine report that said, and I quote, for the first time in U.S. history, Americans are spending more than they make. Now, I question if that was the first time, but that's what it said. To the tune of 108% of their income, and the 8% usually shows up in terms of credit card debt. We're living way beyond our means, and that is honestly, honestly so foolish. Proverbs 21 says, And the house of the wise are stores of choice food and oil, but the foolish person devours all he has. If you're one of those amazing people, the 2% of Americans who have paid off their house completely, even if you fall into that category today, I believe that what we're saying today is helpful for you. Because once you get out of debt... Once it no longer has this debilitating impact on your life, then to stay out of debt, one of the keys to that is to keep revisiting the principles that got you that freedom in the first place. So I want to say it again. I have a passionate desire to see every true disciple of Jesus who calls grace their home church to be truly financially free. The way I'm defining that, again, in this series, let us put it on the screens again, is a profound, satisfying contentment marked by the absence of greed and release from anxiety and worry about financial matters. Now, there are lots of reasons that people get in bondage. Would you agree? could be a health crisis. You just had unexpected emergency health bills. It could be back taxes. It could be loss of a job, uncontrollable circumstances in your life, school loans, business adventures that went bad. The list goes on and on and on. Can, can we be honest, though? While those things definitely happen, emergencies happen, experts who study this say this. Look, it's usually not emergencies. What usually gets the average person in way over their head is simply the desire for more and more things, often an unbridled desire for pleasure and pleasurable pursuits, and then we need quick money to cover over the mistakes that we've made. One guy quipped that, some thief sold, stole his wife's primary credit card. And his friend said, well, did you report it to the credit card company? He said, no, not yet. The thief's spending less than she did. Now, I think that was mostly masculine laughter right there, and I understand that. But can we be honest? Bondage, financial bondage is no respecter of persons, and it's certainly not driven by gender. Yeah, the studies all say the same thing. Here's what the studies say. Women tend to make more purchases on credit 
But men make larger purchases on credit. Women buy that handbag, the pair of shoes, the scarf, the sweater. Men don't do anything for a while, and then they come along and buy a boat and plunge the family into financial stress. Now, please hear me before we get to the more practical part, because this is a question that's often asked. The Bible does not teach that debt is wrong. But it does teach that it's dangerous. The Bible, whenever debt is mentioned, it's always mentioned in a sort of negative way. But it's not prohibited. It is discouraged. The Bible allows a person to go into debt, provided it's a short-term debt, and there's a plan to pay it off. In fact, in the Old Testament, believe it or not, the longest mortgage or debt payment plan was seven years. That's the longest they would go. Today, we kind of think of 30-year loans at our house as the standard, and you can actually get loans with a longer term than that on your home. That's one of the reasons foreclosures over the past 20 years have been at an all-time high. Two main reasons, interest-only loans where people buy more than they can afford, and the other reason is excessive home equity loans. So let's be clear. The Bible stops short of calling debt sin. It is not. But Scripture does encourage us to avoid foolish and dangerous debt because this little four-letter word, debt, can wreak havoc in your home. Debt is dangerous for all kinds of reasons. I've watched it for years as a pastor. It robs people of joy. It creates unbelievable stress. I've, I've seen friends of mine literally be so stressed out over all the debt they're in to just become overly reliant on medications to try to get through that. Missions organizations, I, I read, are struggling getting candidates for the mission field because young people get out of school often with so much debt, they can't go to the mission field. They'd never pay it back going to the mission field. And so it takes two to 10 years for them to pay the debt back, and by then it's often too late or circumstances have dramatically changed. Debt hinders us from living within our means it causes us to lose control of our finances and our future. I often say to my wife, Debbie, I hate debt. And that's honestly the way I feel about it. I don't want to be a servant like that to some bank or financial institution. So let's explore a strategy for the minutes we have remaining on how to get out and stay out of debt. And I'm actually going to give a plan. You may raise your eyebrow. You may smirk and go, well, that's overly simplistic. And I will grant you that it is. Let's just admit that up front. In fact, I'm going to recommend to you later, I'll go ahead and recommend it now, that you join up, sign up, register for Financial Peace University. It's one of the greatest courses that our church has ever offered, and it has helped literally, no exaggeration, thousands of people through the years get out of financial bondage. 
But I'm going to give you a plan. I'm going to suggest some things here. And I believe that if you follow these, they can help guide you toward financial freedom. And I want you to know up front, these are all things that Debbie and I follow. These are a vital part of our own lives. I kind of have a practice. I just don't recommend things that I'm not doing, okay? You can just count on that. So if I'm really asking you or urging you or encouraging you or imploring you to do something, you can be sure that that is something that I greatly value and I embrace and practice in my own life. Number one, acknowledge that God is the owner of everything I get to enjoy. I think it all begins right here. Acknowledge that God is the owner. I'm just a manager. Psalm 24.1 says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. God is really the owner, not me. I'm a manager. And if I manage his resources well, he certainly has the sovereign ability not only to expand my resources, but to actually blow my mind with blessings. And so, folks, I want to be a good steward. That's a passion of mine. Anything God entrusts to me... I want to steward it very wisely and very well. And the Bible tells me to give from the first fruits. If we've accepted him as Lord, then the first gift you make before you do anything else is the gift to the one who gave his life for you. That's how I think about it. And you will find that generosity is one of the keys to getting a handle on your finances. It's all about the health of your soul. The health of your soul. That's what a disciple of Jesus is going after and treasuring. Proverbs 11 says, One man gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. A generous man will prosper. He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. So the starting block, I would recommend to any budgets what Debbie and I practice and have our entire married life, and I practiced this before I was married, is right at the top of your budget, number one item, no matter what, is tithe. We're going to give back to God no matter what. Determine in your own heart and soul today who owns it all. I mean, if we're trying to be good stewards, why would we want to hold back from the one whom we're requesting to bless our lives? If I want to raise from my employer, trust me, my employer is the last person in the world I'm going to cheat. Through the years, our budget has changed dramatically. We have lived through the years in three different apartments that I can remember. We have lived in different homes, different parts of the Capital District. We have helped put two kids through college. We have lived with very different financial commitments. We have gone through at least five, five financial campaigns at Grace Fellowship Church where we pledged sacrificially to those. We've had financial setbacks and emergencies. We've had cars break down, and one car actually burn up, literally, as I was driving it home. I literally got out in time and watched it burn up on the side of the road. 
that's a story for another time. We've gone through lean times and times of abundance, but hear me today. I want you to get this. This is just where I'm coming from. The one thing that will never change for the Keener family is our commitment to give back to God and be generous to others. That's never going to change. No matter what happens, no matter the ups and downs of the economy, no matter the vicissitudes of life, health, being good, health being bad, it doesn't matter. We're always going to have that at the top of the list. That will never change. Say, Pastor, now, whoa, whoa, time out, buddy. Why do you feel so passionately about that? Here's why. Thanks for asking. <laughs> because I believe in this principle called sowing and reaping. I really do. I'm just really, really passionate about that principle. Here's how the Bible puts it, Galatians 6, verse 7. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. And this principle of sowing and reaping is one of the most important principles that Debbie and I have ever learned. We are incredibly blessed in all kinds of ways. I honestly believe there's a direct correlation between what we sow, hear me, and what we reap. It's not a give to get thing. It always ends on the giving part. But trust me, we do tend to reap what we sow. The second principle is to create a budget and stick with it. Now, if you do sign up for Financial Peace University, which I get, I eagerly and passionately urge you to do, they will help you in learning just the basics of creating a budget. And if you've never done that before, I think you will end up being delighted at how that begins to change your whole financial mindset. Rick Warren says, a budget is nothing more than a spending diet. It enables us to watch where the money goes and to control how it's used. And I would urge you to get a budget and stick with it because, listen, I want you to get to the point where you're telling your money at the start of the month where it's going to go instead of waiting till the end of the month and looking around wondering in exasperation where it went. I want you to tell your money where it's going to go at the beginning of the month instead of in utter frustration wringing your hands at the end of the month and going, where did it go? Where did it all go? There's too much month left at the end of the money. That means it's out of control. I care about you. I care about your future. You've got to change that. And the decisions made in your house are more important than decisions made anywhere else. Now, if you're married need to do this as a team. you got to both be on the same page with this. I remind you, the number one cause we're finding of stress in marriage and even divorce is struggles over finances. And if you're single, I would urge you to get a dearly trusted friend in on this so that you can be held accountable. Somebody who can kind of share in this journey with you and see what's going on. And then I would urge you, if you're in doubt on a purchase, to ask yourself some... You know one of the greatest findings I've ever made in life? 
Here's the finding I've made that just staggers me. It's amazing how many things I don't need. Do you hear that? <laughs> it's amazing. I live in a world where I'm bombarded with advertising that tells me I need all the... The most staggering discovery I've made in life is how many things I don't need. There's a ton of things I just don't need. So before you make that purchase, ask, is this going to cause my generosity to the Lord and to others to diminish? Here's a question. Is it in my budget? If it's not in my budget, I mean, where's it, where's it going to come from? Third, is it a necessity or a luxury? Big difference between the two. Can I pay cash? Or if not, can I pay my credit card off at the end of the month instead of paying that exorbitant interest rate? And, and here's a question. Well, if I wait 24 hours before making this purchase and pray about it, can I have the discipline to do that? If not, it may mean that I am just controlled by this sense of instant gratification. I am so grateful that there have been so many times when my heart was pounding and the salesperson was pressing me and you got to, oh, this today's the last day. Today wasn't the last day. If they'll make you a deal today, they'll probably make you a deal tomorrow. And my heart was pounding and I just said, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray and think on this for at least 24 hours. And I was so glad I did. I came to my senses and realized I don't need that. I don't need that at all. Proverbs 27 says, be sure you know the condition of your flocks. Give careful attention to your herds, for riches do not endure forever, and a crown is not secure for all generations. What a great passage that is as a basis for building a budget. Now again, let me stress, the Bible never teaches that debt is wrong or sinful it does say it's dangerous, and you always need to enter into it very advisedly, and I would tell you practically, it ought to always, I believe, be on things that tend to appreciate rather than things that depreciate. Buy that new car, drive it off the lot, it just lost a few thousand dollars worth of value. Six months later, it's at least down 10 to 15% value. It's depreciated that much. But a home, on the other hand, tends to appreciate in value. Not always, but it tends to appreciate in value. Proverbs 27 says, The prudent see danger and take refuge, but the simple keep going and suffer for it. Ron Blue has a great saying. He says, Getting into debt is as easy as getting down an ice-covered mountain. Woo! You can just be there. No pressure, no sweat. Just slide. Getting out of debt? Whew. It's just as difficult as climbing back up that same mountain. And then finally today, I would encourage you, and this may seem so obvious, but you'd be amazed how frequently it's violated. Once, by God's grace, you've been able to eliminate debt, don't incur any new debt. One guy honestly said to his counselor his dilemma. He described it. 
And he said, how will I ever get out of debt if my neighbors keep buying things I can't afford? <laughs> right? <laughs> Don't incur new debt because you can easily write back down that mountain. And as I close today, I, I want to conclude by sharing what I believe is the biggest reason to avoid or eliminate debilitating debt. Jesus talked about it in Matthew 6. He said, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. I don't want to be a servant to anyone but my Lord Jesus Christ. I want to live as financially free and free in all kinds of other ways as I possibly and appropriately can. And if you've been sitting here today listening to this and you're just churning inside because you know, you just know that you're in trouble, I urge you to take this day as a day when you say enough is enough. I'm going to begin to take some steps toward financial freedom. And here's my final word. Debt is dangerous. But it's not the worst debt we owe. The worst debt we've got is our sin debt. And I hope you all understand today that the greatest gift that was ever provided for you is when Jesus didn't walk into a bank and pay some money to eliminate that debt. No, he walked up a mountain bearing a cross and he died there, and he took care of your sin, Dad. And you know what? Oh, I'm so happy. While he was at it, he took care of mine, too. And he paid a debt I could have never paid so that I could be free from the penalty of my sin. And if you've never accepted the payment that Jesus made for your sin, debt, I urge you, let this be that day. Father, thank you so much the incredible wisdom of your word. It staggers us. We are amazed constantly at how practical, at how helpful, at how encouraging, how insightful, and how even at times revolutionary your truth is. So help us today to be practitioners. Let us learn to put into practice the amazing principles you've given us in your word. And above all, for those who've never accepted your payment for their sin debt, may today be the day when they say, Lord Jesus, thank you. You paid a debt that I could have never paid, and I place my trust in you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.